you would take your Bibles, turn to John chapter 3. John chapter 3. That's where we'll be here this morning. Just want to say thank you for being in your place and worshiping with us. Again, a reminder, there will be hot, hot, uh, hot burgers, <laughs> hamburgers, and hot dogs after the service, right? But if you want to, combine it, make it a hot burger, okay? Uh, that's fine. Uh, it's going to be good. I'm hungry. Man, this sound is got me distracted, and we're just going to really hone in right now here. Disclaimer, I have not preached in a while, okay? So please, do not hold it against me. If you're a first-time guest, please come back next week and hear our pastor preach. I promise you will not regret it, so just please be gracious to me. Okay, John chapter 3, we're going to be looking at verses 22 through 36. It's got a lengthy passage, but I believe it's what's needful here this morning as we look at God's Word. Uh, I'm just so thankful to be able to bring it this morning, the Word of God, and hopefully this will be an encouragement to you. Hopefully it will be a challenge and also bring a little bit of conviction. I know from my own study uh, that I have been heavily convicted through this and hopefully uh, that would be the same with you this morning um, and that God will get all glory and praise. Let's look at John chapter 3, starting in verse 22. The words are up on the screen as well, or if you can look at your Bibles. It says this in verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea, and there he tarried with them and baptized. And John was also baptizing in Anon near Salim, because there was much water there, and they came and were baptized. For John was not yet cast into prison. Then there arose a question between some of John's disciples and the Jews about purifying. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come to him. John answered and said, A man can receive nothing except he be given him from heaven. Ye yourselves bear me witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bridegroom, uh, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is, is fulfilled. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly, and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth, and no man receiveth his testimony. He that hath received his testimony hath set his seal that God is true. For he whom God sent speaketh the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son, and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son of God, Son, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So as we read here this, this lengthy passage of Scripture, what I want to do is point our minds and our hearts back to verse 30. Verse 30, it says this, He must increase and I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. That's the simple title of my message here this morning. Uh, and if you notice, there is a faded picture uh, of a groom and a bride. And so hopefully you'll be able to tie these two together. But this is what we're going to look at here this morning. If you're taking notes, that he must increase, I must decrease. Let's ask the Lord right now for his blessing on this message. Father, we come before you again. And Lord, as bringing your word, I pray that you would give me the words to say. And Lord, hide me behind your cross. May people see Jesus this morning. And may they come out of here just more encouraged to live for you. 
to die to self, to lift you up and to minimize them. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, we would see the heart here that John had as he humbly submitted to you. May that be our heart's cry this morning. We love you. We thank you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Here in John chapter 3, as we read here just a little bit ago, we find that John's disciples are coming to him with concern. They're coming to John because now they see that Jesus is beginning to explode in his ministry. They see that Jesus is beginning to gain followers. They see that Jesus has this momentum and that he is the new guy on the block. See, John and his disciples at this time, they were the ones that were ushering in the kingdom. They were the ones making the way for Jesus to come. And yet they were the ones with all the momentum. They were the ones doing all the ministry. Let's just put it in our today's terms. They were the mega church happening. And yet Jesus comes and he begins to start his ministry. And then John's disciples are concerned because they're not getting people coming to their ministry. They're concerned because they're not following John anymore, but that they're following Jesus. And now the crowds that they would have every week are now going down in number because they're all going to Jesus. See, we live in a world, right, that's very self-absorbed. We live in a world where everything is about self-promotion, self-influence. We have the titles that people are called influencers nowadays. We have Instagram, we have all these different social media outlets for us to put ourselves out there and to gain influence and make impact. And if we're all honest, we all have the tendency to be about ourselves. We all have the tendency to look out for number one, me, myself, and I. And we all have this bent inward and we're all about ourselves. And here's the funny thing, no one has to teach you to do that. That just comes naturally. Okay, when you were born, right, one of the other words besides mommy and daddy was what? Mine, okay, mine, right? That was one of the words that you probably learned just right off the bat, you just were able to form it, mine, because we are in very much our own natures, we're very selfish people. And yet we see John freed from this mentality. We see John freed from the self-absorption. We see John free from the self-promotion. If John had an Instagram, he probably wouldn't have an Instagram, okay? He didn't, was not all about himself. John wanted Jesus to increase and for him to decrease. And yet that was John's mantra. That was what he lived for. That was what he was all about. Not self, but Jesus. And so this morning, as we look in this message, what is it that's going to lead us to this place? What is it that's going to bring us to a place where Jesus is lifted up and we are decreasing? He is increasing. What is it going to do? Uh, What is it that's going to lead us to embodying this mantra that he must increase and I must decrease? Well, number one here this morning, if you're taking notes, number one, we understand that we are not the bridegroom. We understand that we are not the bridegroom. See, Jesus, uh, John responds to his disciples with this. Hey, you're concerned about losing all of these people, all of these followers, right? But let me tell you something here. Let me give you a little bit of an illustration. And what John does, he does a great job. He, he talks about a wedding. He brings a wedding as the illustration. So let's do a little participation here this morning. Raise your hand if you've ever been asked to be a best man. Okay, okay, okay. Okay, not a lot of people have any friends, okay? Okay, raise your hand. 
if you were asked to be a maid of honor. Okay, good, good, good. All right, so I've been asked to be the best man twice, okay? Uh, my wife, you've been asked to be a maid of honor once, okay? Uh, no shame, no shame, okay? Um, and it's a, great, it's a great thing to be you know, bestowed upon, you know? You'd be asked to be the best man or the, the maid of honor. And so, um, most of you know that uh, right now I have kind of a small, small business, a video business. I do photos and videos. Uh, and a lot of the times uh, what I do for video is I shoot a lot of promos for small businesses. I do um, just like passion projects, uh, uh, social media stuff uh, to help kind of facilitate content and stuff for, for different clients. One of the areas of video that I do work in is film, uh, wedding filming, wedding filmmaking. And so usually I'll go out, my wife will come with me if, if she wants, and she does a great job. She doesn't do any of the, the filming, she just carries my bag, uh, and which is great, because uh, she's also kind of my anchor, my stability, because sometimes when you're going there to do a wedding, it's like almost an eight to 10 hour day, and you're literally just following people around the whole time and just videoing, and it can be very exhausting, and sometimes you have to do multiple things uh, in the short amount of time. And then my wife comes along and she helps me with the bag and she, she does a great job. The last wedding, uh, I mean, two weddings ago, my wife was running around and the, uh, the, the father of the bride noticed my wife was running around and he was like, yo, your wife is amazing. You know, she does all of these things. And he was so amazed of how much Jessica was doing. Uh, and he told me that I had to give her a raise, okay? And so even though I don't really pay her, um, I pay her with love um, and thankfulness and gratitude. Uh, at the end of the day, I know, babe, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a raise, all right? Um, but she does such a great job. Well, at these weddings, right, my job as a videographer is to capture the moments of the bride and groom, to make sure that all of the special things that they want to be included in the video is there. And so what I do literally is I just follow these people around. I point a camera at them and I make sure I get some of the special moments of the day. And usually it takes around eight to 10 hours. I'm exhausted, my wife's exhausted. We get home and then usually what I do is I put the, the, uh, the video and all that stuff into uh, my computer. I begin to edit, add music, all of this stuff and make the day come alive. Then I will send the video off to the bride and groom and usually they'll respond with, oh, we love it, thank you so much. Thank you for being there and all of that. But if I were to go to the next wedding I'll do and I'd be, you go there and begin to uh, take video and I choose to deviate from the plan, deviate from what I'm supposed to do and begin to take a video of the best man or the, the maid of honor or, or the guest and just follow them around, take video of just them eating and all of this stuff and have nothing to do with the bride and groom, you would think that video is pretty bad, right? At the end of the day, the only, only stuff that I have, the only footage I have is of everybody else except for the bride and the groom. And if I were to make that video and send it off to the people who paid me to do it, they would probably want their money back, okay? It just wouldn't make any sense that I pointed the camera to, to other people other than the bride and groom. And what if I flipped the camera around and just did a whole bunch of selfies of myself throughout the whole day and just having fun, eating cake, all of that stuff? You know what I mean? Like it just wouldn't make sense. It would be bizarre to point the camera at me or other people. So with that in mind, as we look here at John's response in verse 29, let's look at it through that context. He says this in verse 29, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. 
So John's response to his disciples, their concern, hey, you're losing everybody. You're not gaining a bigger ministry. Your ministry's shrinking. You don't have any more influence, any more impact. John says, look, if this was a wedding, I'm just the best man. If this was a wedding, I'm just standing off to the side rejoicing that the bridegroom has his bride. That's my job. That's my role. That's what I'm supposed to be doing, is I'm supposed to be rejoicing because the bride and the groom are the ones being seen because the, but because the bridegroom has his bride. That's my job. I'm the best man. I'm the friend. That's my role. See, what's funny is, is that John could have easily leaned into his illustrious resume as a Christian, his illustrious resume as a servant of God, as a minister, And scripture characterizes John as this very important person. And so let's look at that right now because he could have leaned into this pride. He could have said, yeah, it is really all about me. I've really done a lot of things. But let's see here, John's ministry credentials and kind of just his illustrious career, right? Luke uh, 1, 41 through 44, we see that John is directly connected to Jesus since birth. And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation, that's uh, Elizabeth is John's mother, uh, heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb. That's John. He's just a, a baby in there. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost and she spake out with a loud voice and said, blessed art thou among women and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. John, not even born yet, was in there and already exuding emotion because of his connection to Jesus. And it was joy, right? I don't know what it's like to be a mom and to know what it's like to have someone kicking in my stomach, okay? But I bet for her, Elizabeth, when that happened, wow, it was so amazing to know that John already connected to Jesus and he wasn't even out of the womb yet. Here's another one. John was chosen to prepare the way for the Messiah. John 1, 6 through 8. There was a man sent from God whose name was John, and the same came for a witness to bear witness of the light, that all men through him might believe. Listen to this. He was not that light. John is saying, I'm not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. And then Isaiah prophesied of John's ministry. Isaiah 43, the voice of him that crieth in the wilderness Prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. This is all John. And then here's here's an even greater one. Jesus' high compliment of John. Matthew 11, 11. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of women, there hath not risen a greater than John the Baptist. And then John gets to do another great thing. He gets to baptize Jesus. He says this in Matthew 3, 13 through 17, Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have, not, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it not to be so, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water, and lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What an awesome ministry career. Like if you were to compare that to yours, not even close. Okay? 
John was privileged to do some amazing things. And yet, when those amazing things were coming to a close, he did not lean into pride. He leaned into his place. When those things were coming to a close, he did not lean into rebellion, but he he leaned into his role. He leaned into the shadow of Jesus and not self-centeredness. And then we go on further. It says this in John 3, 26 through 27. And they came unto John and said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with thee beyond Jordan, that's Jesus, to whom thou bearest witness. Behold, the same baptizeth and all men could to him. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing except it be given him from heaven. What John is saying there is this. Look, we've been given this ministry. And the only reason we've been given the time and the influence and the impact is from heaven above. Is from God. And this same exact gift is now being given to Jesus. All things are going to be in his hands. And we can't do anything about it. We're not going to stop it because the God of the universe has given it into the hand of Jesus. And guess what? It's going forward and you can't stop it. And John knows this, humbly knows this. And he says that there in verse 26 through 27, he lets them know that, look, it is by the hand of God. And I just want to encourage us as a church that anything of lasting and internal value that we have here at Redwood is not of our own. It's not of our own doing, but it's given to us by God. That any lasting impact and influence that we may garner with people in our community, lives changed, people transformed, that is not of our own doing, that is not of our own hands, and we do not claim praise and glory for that, but we give it to God. Because it is God alone who brings people, it is God alone who does the miraculous, it is God alone who changes the heart. And yet we're just vessels there saying, God, you be on top. And Lord, we will be there to honor and glorify you. We will be there to see you high and lifted up. See, God is a good, good father to us and as he gives us influence and impact. And yet John understands this and this is his heart. John says in verse uh, uh, John 3.28, he says this, Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. John has to continually do this. He has to continually tell his disciples, look, I'm not Jesus. I am a servant of Christ. And as he goes on, he says this in, in John 1.26, an earlier chapter, that to Jesus he says that I am not preferred before me. I am not preferred him. Whose shoe latchet I am not worthy to unloose in verse 27. That's what he says. He says, look, Jesus is so far above me. He is so greater that I can't even stoop down and untie his shoe because he's so amazing. He is so high above. And then in John 3, 29 through 30, he says this, he that hath the bridegroom is the bride, he that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy therefore is fulfilled. Verse 30, he must increase, but I must decrease. See, an increase in Christ and a decreasing self is understanding, number one this morning, that we are not the bridegroom, but that we are the friend, that we are the ones standing there at the wedding, rejoicing, excited, propping up the bridegroom and the bride, and just loving the moment of their exaltation. And so this morning, that first point, we understand that we are not the bridegroom. Number two, John recognizes that Jesus is above all and we exalt him. Jesus is above all and we exalt him. Look at verse 30 again. He must increase, but I must decrease. He that cometh from above is above all. 
He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth, but he that cometh from heaven is above all. And then jump down to verse 34. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God, for God giveth not the spirit by measure unto him. The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hand. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. So here in this second part of the scripture, it shows here that John is giving us two connected truths. So I want you to pay attention. These two connected truths. The first one is this, is that Jesus is above all. And then the second connected truth from that is that Jesus is the only way to salvation. Jesus is the only way to salvation. And these truths go together. And so let's look at these connected truths. Number one, Jesus is above all, and that is Jesus's rightful place. In verse 31, he that cometh from above is above all, and he that is earthly and speaketh of the earth, he that cometh from heaven is above all. John says also in verse 35 that the Father loveth the Son and giveth all things into his hands. So when we see those two verses, this is what we're seeing. We're seeing Jesus is given the authority and sovereignty over all. He's given authority and sovereignty over all. And the Apostle Paul would say in Colossians, he would say it more like this in verses 1, Colossians 1, 14 through 18. He would say it like this, In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Verse 16, for by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by him and for him. And he is before all things and by him all things consist, beginning, uh, and he is the head of the body of the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence, for it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. See, this is Jesus' rightful place, that he is above all. Scripture throughout, you read it, you will find that he is high and lifted up. And yet that is Jesus' rightful place. And yet we see in Romans 9, 5, of whom the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came who is over all, the eternally blessed, amen. And then Ephesians 1, 21, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Augustine said it like this, and I think this is something that, blew my mind, but it says this, Christ is not valued at all unless he's valued above all. Christ is not valued at all unless he is valued above all. Why? Because it only makes sense that Jesus is above all. Jesus does not go below. Jesus does not take second place. It is not his nature. His nature is to be number one always and forever. And that's a comforting thing. But I understand at, at the moment, right? It's an affront to us. Why? Because we always want to be what? Number one, it's always an affront to us because we're always out for ourselves. We're always looking for what works for us. See, Jesus must take that rightful place. He knows no other place, but above all, Jesus is not just part of our lives, but Jesus must become the whole of our life. He must be exalted. And Augustine makes this big distinction between Jesus' ultimate value is that everything uh, is everything and not just some of it or just part of it, but to truly value Jesus is for Jesus to be preeminent in all aspects 
of our life. See, when we think about that word preeminent, we're just not talking about Jesus having a place. We're talking about Jesus having the place. That he dominates our lives in every area. See, Jesus being above all is a practice that we need to embrace on a daily basis. And I promise you, if you practice this, your life will be a lot better. I promise you. I have to tell myself, decrease, increase Christ. And when I've been going over this message, like literally it's in these moments that I have in relationships that I have to tell myself this. Because an increase in Christ is way better than an increasing Mike. An increase in Christ is way better than an increasing Mike when it comes to my relationships. I, being married, okay, reveals a lot, okay. If you're married, you know this. My wife sees me, the real Mike, on a daily basis. And I bet you she would rather have an increasing Christ than an increasing Mike. And I have to tell myself in moments, you know what, it's okay to lose. You don't always have to be right as the husband. You don't always have to start the conflict all the time. You don't always have to try to fight until you get your way. But an increasing Christ would help me to submit to love my wife better. It would help me to take a step back and see her needs before mine. And so, when we think about this increasing Christ, decreasing self, Jesus must be placed at the top. He must be above all. And you know what? Since we do have this bent towards looking inward instead of outward and upward, we are rescued by the gospel. We are given a fighting chance that once we submit to Christ in faith and, put, and make him the Lord of our life, that default inwardness is broken. And now you have an opportunity each and every day to surrender upward each and every day to surrender outward, each and every day to look at others better than yourselves because of an increase in Christ in your life. To live your life for yourself is very, very sad. It's empty. It does not, it does not help you grow, and it's not joyful or impactful. I promise you, to live for others and to live upward, that's the greatest joy. And I don't want to get too, too far ahead, but we're getting there. See, John knows that Jesus must take over and increase and he must humbly decrease. Jesus must be seen in the right view that he's above all and that all is in his hands. Let me hurry here this morning. John 3, 35 through 36, it says, The Father loveth the Son and hath given all things into his hands. He that believeth the Son hath everlasting life, and he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Now that connecting truth, right? The first part is Jesus is above all. The second part is Jesus is the only way to salvation. These two connect because here, what we'll see here is that John knows that I need to exalt Jesus. Why? For his ministry to go out and reach people. For his ministry to go out and for Jesus to save people. And that's what John is saying. I don't have in myself the answer to save people. I can't save people. Jesus can save people. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lift Jesus high. They need to see Jesus. They don't need to see me. They need to see Jesus lifted up in my life. See, when Jesus increases and we decrease, the world around us can see the hope that they need. They can see Jesus in us. John 12, 32, Jesus said this, And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. This he said, signifying what death he should die. 
And yet that death is still the same today. That when Jesus was on that cross, he made a way. And when he rose again, he secured it. Here's the thing. Jesus lifted up, draws all men. When you lift yourself up, you don't do that. When you lift Christ up in your life, it gets people to see who Jesus is. And he's the way, the truth, and the life, not you. And so you and I today, we need to humbly decrease and allow Jesus to increase because he has the only power to save. And John knows this. See, Jesus being lifted up, is Jesus being lifted up? There's a question this morning I had to ask myself so many times. Is Jesus being lifted up or am I being lifted up? John understands that the ministry he was given must be absorbed by Jesus because it is Jesus who the world needs. They need a lifted up Jesus, not a lifted up John. They need a lifted up Jesus, not a lifted up Mike. They need a lifted up Savior, not an envious servant. So questions here this morning, just before we end. Do you see Jesus as above all in your life? Are you exalting him? And do people see Jesus in you? And then finally here this morning, we must understand, number one, that we are not the bridegroom. Number two, that Jesus must be above all and exalted. And then finally this morning, we're going to see this natural result when we decrease. See, the first two points, I, hopefully, uh, was a challenge to you. Hopefully, it was brought some type of conviction. I know for me, as I said to you this morning, that it, this whole week it was. There were so many things coming in the way of me trying to practice this that even this morning I had to do some apologizing to people because I wanted to increase because it was all about me. And yet I knew the devil was working in that way because he knew this message was coming. And I knew as myself, man, I, I'm not that great at this. And praise the Lord. Guess what? God's not acting, asking you to be perfect in this pursuit. It's that you just humbly fail and you try again. And so this morning, hopefully those two points brought some type of spirit-filled conviction. And why I make that distinction of spirit-filled conviction is because as a child of God, guilt and shame is no longer that type of way. It's a spirit-filled conviction because the Holy Spirit wants to continue to work and he wants to continue to make Jesus in you so much greater. So now Jesus is so good to us. Because he just, we just don't see this, this point of he must increase and I must decrease as just that and it's over. Jesus is so good to us because in this pursuit of obedience, there's what I love to call built-in blessing. And you'll see a built-in blessing here as John says. And the built-in blessing is this, is that we receive increased joy in our life. Look at verse 28 again. Ye yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but that I am sent before him. He that hath the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom, which standeth and heareth him, rejoiceth greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. This my joy, therefore, is fulfilled. What brings John true joy? Is that the bridegroom is getting all the attention. Is that the best man is just sitting there in the shadows, and the king of glory the groom is there with all eyes on him and all praise and glory towards him. That's where John finds his joy. That's where John's joy will increase. 
And for you and me this morning, God just does not give us something to obey without being a good father and just, he still gives us a good gift. He gives us a built-in blessing. He says, look, you want something that's going to increase? Hey, lift me up and I promise you, your joy will be fulfilled. I promise you, your joy will increase. This all happened even before this whole scenario here where he's talking about the bride and the bridegroom. I mentioned it before. It's when Jesus was in Mary and Elizabeth had John and before they were even born. If you caught it, the babe leaped for what? Joy. Even when he was just a little boy, not even formed yet, just in the womb right there, not even out the first natural result of him being connected to Jesus was joy. And that followed him all the way through until he was a man. And it increased through the years that as Jesus was getting the fame and as Jesus was getting the glory and as Jesus was being seen, that joy followed John and it increased and it increased and increased to the point where John could be left with nothing. And yet he still had joy. And Jesus was high. And lift it up. What is it that brings you joy this morning? Is it you? Or is it Jesus? Is it your self-ambitions? Is it your self-agenda? Is it your self-promotion that brings you joy? I promise you that, that those types of things, when they're accomplished, don't bring you joy. They bring you happiness. And we all know that happiness is a fleeting emotion. But joy is a constant because joy is an actual person and that person's Jesus. So no matter what you're going through, the ups and the downs, you're constantly resting and you're joyful in the Lord. And all of that happens when we understand that we are not the bridegroom, when we understand that Jesus is above all and that's his rightful place and that he must be exalted. What is it that should bring us ultimate joy as a child of God? It should be that our Savior receives all glory, honor, and blessing. We receive when Jesus is high and lifted up in our lives. It brings us joy when we see Jesus taking over all aspects of life. Listen to this quote here by Augustine. He says this, There is a joy which is not given to the ungodly, but to those who love thee for thine own sake, whose joy thou thyself art, and this is the happy life, to rejoice to thee, of thee, for thee. This is it, and there is no other. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, when you become a child of God, the greatest gift you ever receive is him. The greatest gift that you will ever receive is Jesus himself. And yet that should echo through our lives that it's for thee of thee, only him, and there is no other. We will find true joy and increasing joy when we allow ourselves to decrease and we allow Christ to increase. Jesus not only increases our joy, but in all reality, he is the object of our joy. And as John wraps us up with his disciples, he says, look, Jesus is the only way to salvation Jesus is the only one who needs to be high and lifted up. And I'm so glad to just step aside 
and let his ministry go forth. Let's make it personal this morning. What is it in your life that you need to put aside as yourself to allow Jesus to shine through you this morning? What is it that you can decrease and let Jesus increase this morning? Does the closest friends that you have see Jesus in you? Do they know how important Jesus is to you? Do they know that your joy is settled on him? I promise you that when you allow Jesus to come through you, it's just another way of showing a lost world a good savior and the hope that they desperately need. May we as a church never be accused of ourselves. May we be a church accused of radically lifting up Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.